Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always, and with me once again, we have the full house in here, Brandon Stevens, sailor to the people. Jeremy, what's up? Ricardo Benavides, say hello to the people. Hey, Jared. How's it going, man? God, neither of you listen now. Okay. I like it. <laughs> oh, well, hey, uh, we appreciate you guys listening. If you could like, rate, review, and share this podcast, uh, it would mean a lot to us. Help, with, uh, help us with the algorithms, all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, guys, we have, a, we have a good episode today. I'm excited, man. I'm really excited. We have uh, Dr. Dylan McCready on the show. Heavy uh, he, on the doctor, okay? I know, heavy on the doctor. He told me just to call him Dylan, so... Um, but when he's not here, I'll call him Dr. Dylan McCready. He is a, prof- uh, a professor at and researcher at Texas A&M University, working on some really, really cool stuff. And um, I know you guys have heard the interview, so what, uh, what did you think? I thought it was great. I thought it was a great interview. You did a great job, as usual. Oh, thank you, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what do you mean, Jeremy? Did you do a good job on the interview? Sure. No, I'm asking what you no. thought of Dr. Dylan McCready uh, on I the interview. I thought he was fantastic. Jesus Christ. But you know, you know what? Uh, um, one of the things that I like is that, um, you know, you asked the question uh, about halfway through, I think it was, where if he works by himself or do they do collaboration, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting that, uh, you know, with his grant and those other three, was it three or four doctors that he's yeah, working with? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. There's four or five doctors yeah. got kind of recruited to Texas Yeah, A&M. exactly. And, you know, and it just reminded me, if you ever really want to solve a problem, it kind of takes a village. Yeah. You know? Well. And, uh, and the sharing of all the information back and forth and the collaboration is really nice to see, you know, where, you know, when you think of somebody in a lab, you think of them, you know, nose down, head down, yeah. just focusing Tunnel on Tunnel vision one thing. on, yeah. yeah, on their one specific yeah. topic. Yeah. When so. we, when we originally started the Live to Walk Again Foundation, the, the catalyst for us, and we haven't quite reached our goal yet in kind of pushing that forward, but essentially what we believe is that part of the missing link is the communication breakdown and a part a lot of that has to do with bringing these people together yeah to work on these you know from different areas and, different well, areas of really, research yeah and that really sounds like what Texas A&M is trying to do they're trying Absolutely. to create a, a yeah. so you a have bubble, like the opposite of a bubble like you a, specialize. A, an environment to yeah. yeah to to spawn new ideas and new mm-hmm. uh you know, new research topics and co- yeah, co- because combining we've, them like we've that. talked about so many different types of research topics or people that are working on um, different methods from all areas of science, mm-hmm. you know, and there there's a possibility that not only one, but several cures could happen, especially if they're brought together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that's like, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's really interesting what what he's, he's working on. He's they're really working on two of like the pivotal things I think in 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 the McCready lab at Texas A and M. They're working on both uh, inf- inflammation and imaging. Yeah, trying to map out the spinal cord. So those are are two vitally important pieces of of the puzzle really so yeah and if i understood it right correctly it's like it's like right after the injury right it was the 
that golden window of time yeah. to get that imaging to see what is being inflamed, what's being attacked, what's being, uh, what's what's what got injured, and how do we repair it, right? Yeah, so, they're, and they're doing. They just got a one point nine uh, million dollar NIH grant for um, mm-hmm. working with these, uh, examining these um, neutrophils, is what they're called. Mm-hmm. That basically are the first responders to a lot of injuries in your body, but specifically to your spinal cord and trying to basically figure out if those are causing more inflammation, if there's a way to, to change them to, to block arrest inflammation. Yeah, the inflammation. Um, and then just kind of figuring out exactly what they do and how they can use these neutrophils to the benefit of the person who was injured. So. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty pretty impressive work. Pretty, you know, I'm I'm excited. I mean, and, and that goes uh, along with, um, you know, next week we're having uh, Professor Stephen Stupp on from Northwestern University, mm-hmm. and he's uh, Dylan had actually worked with him uh, at Northwestern at one point, or maybe it was at another. Maybe they both were at a different uh, research university at the time. But anyway, they, he's worked with him before. And so he got to see a little bit of that, um, that study, I guess, like at its, in its infancy. And now he's seeing what it's, what it's kind of grown into. I'm excited. Like the, the future of spinal cord injury research and um, stem cell research and all these things is just it's yeah i feel like it's right there you know what i mean like they, they've got to be so so close yeah and um i liked the part where you talk about uh our our good uh uh friend elon musk you know we got to get him on the podcast to i know talk i about just need the... him elon <laughs> hit, hit me up yeah exactly <laughs> you have an open invitation my man for the uh, um, Neuralink, right? And yeah. um, you ask a great question about how does that impact the work that he's doing, right? And he looked at it and said it was a real positive step forward. You know, all these research and all this work is a good thing to get people to heal from injuries. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's definitely a collab. I, I like his collaborative approach to to this thing right. and knowing that he can't do it by or his lab can't do it by themselves they need to to implement other you know figure out what is working in other areas and that, that his lab they're they're constantly researching out you know on the internet what what other, what other people are doing and what yeah. you know getting yeah. ideas from there so uh, yeah, it's it's a it's, it's an exciting time in, in spinal cord injury research. I think. And, yeah, and, I, and I think it was a great uh, interview, Jeremy, because he, um, you know, he is a doctor and a technician, but he wasn't he didn't explain it in a clinical way. It made right. it really easy to understand. I agree. Yeah, that was it was that was uh, very helpful, very helpful for sure. So, um, well, yeah, let's get to this interview, and uh, and we'll talk to you guys on the other side of it. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, I am so excited to be able to visit with Dr. Dylan McCready. Dylan is a Texas A&M University biologist, assistant professor, a TIRR foundation fellow in the Texas A&M Department of Biology. Dylan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Yeah, and just uh, so everybody knows, my co-host likes to give me a hard time whenever I have a doctor on and I don't call them doctor throughout the interview. So Dylan told me to call him Dylan. So just so everybody knows that ahead of time. Uh, but yeah, so Dylan, um, for anybody that doesn't already know the, the story, I read, read a very interesting um, article about you in the um, Texas A&M uh, newspaper, I guess is what it is. And, you know, talk about how you were kind of drawn to studying the spinal cord and, and trying to, you know, do some, you know, spinal cord injury research and, and I guess nervous system research. Um, yeah, how did, how did that come about? Uh, so when I was a, a young kid, I had a really bad case of spinal meningitis. And, and so this is before I have any memory. And um, so I'm mostly deaf in my right ear and partially deaf in my left ear. And so I've kind of always grown up, you know, curious about how that occurs. You know, uh, when, when you hear spinal meningitis, you associate it with the spinal cord. So I always thought that there was some sort of nerve damage associated with my hearing loss. And so when I was in college, I um, went to college to study biomedical engineering and and was really interested in studying more about the nervous system. And I, I didn't find out until later that my hearing loss actually didn't have anything to do with, with nerves or the spinal cord and was actually the loss of hair cells in my inner ear. Um, but it's still, I was already kind of down the path, really interested in learning more about spinal cord injury and um, sort of different strategies to restore function um, in order to kind of um, bring back the motor and sensory function loss due to paralysis. And so that it was kind of a roundabout way that, that I ended up there, but it uh, uh, sort of sort of motivated by my personal story, but then ended up, you know, trying to um, find cures and treatments for others. Oh, that, that's amazing. You know, when, so Texas A&M, I, I didn't know that that you all were even doing a lot of spinal cord injury research studies down there. I didn't, you know, it's not, I guess in my, you know, I've been injured now for 20 years. I've been doing the podcast for about three and, and really like diving into spinal cord injury research. So um, this is kind of the first, maybe, maybe I've seen one other thing coming out of there just, you know, in, in the news or whatever. So um, what brought you to Texas A&M? I know you were um, at another university and, and kind of like recently, not, not re really recently, but somewhat recently came to Texas A&M. Like how, how did that uh, work to, to get down there? So a lot of the, the credit for kind of bringing the spinal cord injury um, research community to sort of its, its um, current status is, is really due to uh, Dr. Jim Grau and, and other labs that were studying spinal cord injury here on campus. And, and they have worked with the, the Tier Foundation down in Houston um, through a program that they have run called Mission Connect, which really um, works to bring together expertise in neurotrauma, both traumatic brain injury and spinal cord injury. And so uh, Dr. Grau had worked with the Tier Foundation um, to uh, create a donation that was matched by the university in order to open up four faculty positions um, that were solely focused on spinal cord injury research to really kind of bring Texas A&M to the forefront of spinal cord injury research. And so um, when I was 
doing my postdoc, I saw the job opening. And you know, one of the requirements is that your research had to be focused on spinal cord injury. And so through these four positions, um, we've really been able to uh, rapidly grow and increase uh, the researchers and the, the research focus here at Texas A&M. So um, I have to give a shout out to Dr. Growl and to the Tier Foundation for that effort. Um, and we're really excited to be sort of spearheading more research in that arena here on campus. Oh, that's great. And how long have you been down there at Texas A&M now? So I've been here for, for almost three years. I was the last of the four hires. So uh, Dr. Jen Doolin, Dr. Um, Cedric Joffroy, and Dr. Hongu Park were uh, a year before me. And so they're all in various departments, including engineering and the med school uh, neuroscience department, as well as, as my department, biology. And so it's sort of a diverse expertise that we've been able to bring together to look at spinal cord injury from many different avenues, including regeneration, neuroinflammation, um, as well as from an engineering perspective and looking at new devices that can be um, utilized to improve function. Oh, that, that's incredible. What, so where is your, where does your focus in the spinal cord injury research department lie? Like what, what is your main, main, yeah, what, what's the thing your, your lab looks at mainly? So my lab really looks at early neuroinflammation. So we're really interested in studying which immune cell types are entering the spinal cord early on after injury and potentially in exacerbating the local tissue damage. So, so we have been really focused on one immune cell type called the neutrophil, which is the most common immune cell type in human blood and the first to go into the spinal cord early after injury. And so there's been some great work that has shown that neutrophils um, can be damaging, but it's really not known how. And so that's what we're trying to figure out is how and when are they having these damaging functions and then there's also some really exciting work that's showing later on that these same cell types that are causing damage might, ask, might also promote regeneration. And so we're really interested in how does that switch occur? And you know, how can you have one cell type having both damaging and reparative functions? And is there a way that we can control that in order to reduce the damage and then increase the repair and regeneration? So we're really interested in just seeing that interplay between the nervous system, the spinal cord, and the immune system. I see. Yeah. So, so these neutrophils, um, do they, do you think that they cause inflammation? I mean, cause obviously that's like the, the most damaging thing that happens immediately, or I mean, you know, one of the most damaging things that happens immediately after spinal cord injury. And one of the biggest obstacles is the inflammation that occurs between that and I guess scar tissue and things like that. So, I mean, do you think that these neutrophils play a role in inflammation um, or, or is that something you're still kind of trying to, to unlock there? We absolutely believe they're playing a role in inflammation in particular sort of the early phase and kicking it off. Um, and so we're, we're really trying to figure out to what extent they're playing a role and, and to what extent is that contributing to the damage associated with inflammation. And so um, they, you know, neutrophils are, are really important first line of defense against 
uh, pathogens such as bacteria and fungus. So they are um, really our body or immune systems first mechanism for sterilizing injury sites. So they're, they're absolutely important for us to interface with the world. But when you're dealing with an, an internal injury or, or mostly internal injury with spinal cord injury, they you know, may be having unintended functions that aren't necessary. Um, and so we're really just trying to figure out you know, to what extent is that occurring? And, and we believe that um, by controlling the neutrophil response, we can reduce the total extent of inflammation and the total tissue damage. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That, that's, uh, yeah, good. I'm, we're definitely, all, all of us dealing with spinal cord injuries are definitely rooting you guys on out there. So, uh, you know, I, I did read also in the, the Texas A&M article uh, about, about your, you and your lab and, and what you guys are all doing out there um, that you, I read that you were awarded a 1.9 million uh, NIH grant through the Institute of uh, Neurological Disorders and Stroke to, to kind of dive into these neutrophils. And so, um, you know, what, how long is that going to last for? Like what, I mean, what is this funding going to do, I guess, for you? Talk a little bit this, this personally with your lab, like what, what that meant to you guys to be able to get, get, uh, get this large sum to, to kind of keep working on on these, this neutrophil uh, study that you're doing? So, uh, yeah, we were very fortunate to receive this award and, and very thankful for the opportunity to pursue this research. And so we're going to look at how a specific receptor on these neutrophils controls their function within the spinal cord. And then um, the back end, so the award is, is for five years in total. And uh, the, the latter part of the award will explore an FDA-approved uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug called diclofenac, which is um, really a, a very widely prescribed uh, NSAID. And so we've previously shown that if you deliver um, this drug early on in, in models of spinal cord injury, that it can improve recovery. So our goal is to expand that window of benefit. And so we're looking at different delivery routes and trying to figure out specifically what is this drug doing. And so we can um, make it um, uh, potentially increase the benefit and then increase the window after spinal cord injury in which we have to deliver this drug. And so we believe this drug is working through this receptor on neutrophils. And so uh, this grant will allow us to prove that and then to kind of further explore how to really maximize the therapeutic benefit here. Oh, that, that's amazing. Uh, you know, and, and I know that I, I had read a little bit about how your lab also um, is focusing on imaging. And, and like I said, I've been doing the podcast for a few years and it seems like the biggest kind of roadblocks to healing the spinal cord seem to be inflammation and then scar tissue but also imaging and kind of mapping out the spinal cord. And it sounds like you guys do things, go, go at it from a little bit different uh, perspective than, um, than anything I've read about before. So can you kind of describe what that, the focus on imaging that, that your lab uh, is doing? Yeah, so uh, when we're trying to image um, central nervous system tissue, like the brain and spinal cord, 
Um, there's a lot of lipids associated with the myelin and it makes it uh, very difficult to pass light through these tissues. So in order to image them, we usually have to take really thin tissue sections and, and look at it under a microscope. But there's been some recent techniques uh, in the realm of tissue clearing, which allow us to take these opaque tissues and turn them completely transparent so that we can image all the way through it. So we've been utilizing these previously published tissue clearing protocols in the context of spinal cord injury so that we can take um, whole spinal cord tissue and really study it without having to cut it up into little pieces. And, and that has really enabled us to have a more holistic view, macroscopic view of the connections that are being formed. So we're trying to, to utilize this uh, technology in, in combination with a new microscope that we have that allows us to image the whole tissue in three dimensions in order to map out the circuitry of the spinal cord so we can understand how it functions in its normal state and how that can be damaged after spinal cord injury and, and really to provide new insight and the best mechanisms for promoting recovery after injury. Okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, do you think, Dylan, that being able to look at the spine, I mean, so so looking at the spinal cord with this new imaging that you guys are using, I guess it's not necessarily new, but just that you guys are using it in a different way, um, and, and being able to see kind of the connections and how those things work. I mean, do you think that there, there's like a possibility of eventually being able to reconnect things just by having this, the kind of the map of the spinal cord, and obviously no, no two spinal cords are the same, no two spinal cord injuries are the same, but um, yeah, it sounds like this could be pretty, pretty groundbreaking uh, research that you guys are doing. That's, that's what we're hoping for. You know, we're hoping that we can basically get a higher resolution, a better view of the connections that are, you know, most likely to be present in, you know, a, a general spinal cord. And so when, when we, their injury occurs and we know the location of the injury, we can sort of predict or guess what sort of connections might be lost and need to be restored. So it might have avenues for more personalized medicine. We're exploring multimodality imaging. So how can we take our high resolution, but more invasive imaging and couple it with non-invasive imaging such as MRI imaging and, and sort of use the two to uh, make educated or, or, or um, sort of try to understand what's happening in, in both forms of imaging. And, um, you know, really would give us a, hopefully a better idea of how we could best repair that circuitry. Um, as we're starting, you know, there's a lot of different stem cell trials that are ongoing and a lot of um, sort of new strategies, um, including um, ways to electrically stimulate the spinal cord in order to elicit motion. And so if we can better understand these connections in the spinal cord, we can, you know, I think, um, be able to better develop therapies that can uh, kind of maximize the recovery of function. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I was wondering also, a lot of times when you when you think of you know these doctors or, or researchers that are focused on one specific thing, I know you you probably all have to have t 
tunnel vision towards that, right? Like you're, you're diving in full, full bore. Um, are you, since you, you mentioned that the other three doctors that have been hired there at Texas A&M are, are kind of in different areas of spinal cord research than maybe your, your lab is, um, do you all collaborate on things as well? I mean, are you, you constantly, are you hearing about what they're researching and, and seeing if maybe your, your uh, you know, imaging or the, the neutrophil study could fit in with something they're doing in engineering or one of the other modalities? Absolutely. So, so we are all actively collaborating with each other. That was um, really the advantage of this sort of setup. And, and we share lab spaces often. So not only are, are we able to interact with each other, but our the trainees, the lab members are also interacting with each other and learning from each other and getting a, a broader, more holistic perspective on everything. And so um, we have many grants together. And so we've really taken advantage of these potential collaborations to uh, design new projects and to really do a better job of assessing in, from multiple different angles how our potential therapeutic uh, approaches could work. And so it's really been um, super advantageous. And we also have the network through Mission Connect, which sort of connects many different neurotrauma researchers across Texas and other states as well. And so um, we've really been trying to increase that neurotrauma and spinal cord injury research community to make sure that we're really communicating well with each other, working well with each other in order to get a uh, diverse and broad perspective that would be most beneficial in the long run. All right. Uh, then that was going to be my next question is how, how much do, you know, other studies outside of your kind of your university or your area there um, kind of penetrate the bubble that you're, you guys are in um, with your, your specific uh, research studies. But so like, but for instance, like the Neuralink, the Elon Musk Neuralink, like how, I mean, I'm sure you're not like researching that wholeheartedly or anything at this point because you're doing your own thing but you know what when you hear about somebody like elon musk getting involved in in potentially healing spinal cord injuries or or i guess bypassing spinal cord injuries more what it sounds like what i mean what do you think about the Neuralink? what do you think about um you know just i guess the it getting into the, you know, into such a mainstream, you know, person like Elon Musk being wanting to, to kind of tackle this, this uh, problem as well. I think it's great when, when these sort of strategies are brought into the public view and, and you have more focused attention, uh, more funding and, and more sort of um, motivation put behind these sort of studies. So the, the technology that that he is utilizing there has actually been around for decades and um, has really been explored in the bioengineering and neuroengineering space for a while. And then he's really sort of bringing it to the public forefront, which is really, I think, important for helping it progress. And, and so that similar technology has been applied in the spinal cord injury field for a while and has actually gained some considerable traction in, in robotics and then also the use of these epidural stimulators that can go over the spinal cord and activate the portions of the spinal cord that can um, uh, help with walking movements. And so there's some really interesting research uh, 
um, out of uh, Switzerland right now showing um, uh, some preliminary promise with that technology. And so there really is this interconnectedness between some of the strategies in spinal cord injury research, Neuralink, and then these early kind of bioengineering efforts. And, and so we, the, the field has gotten heavily interdisciplinary where we're trying to bring in people from engineering um, and many other different disciplines in order to really get out of that tunnel vision or that bubble and to expand the opportunities and the, the potential for spinal cord injury research and you know, the ultimate treatments and cures. So my, my uh, lab continually looks at new publications in the um, inflammation and immunology space outside of spinal cord injury. So we want to know what's really been helpful for cancer or for lung disease and because the neutrophils have, are being extensively studied in those arenas. So we want to see what they're learning and see what we can kind of pull from that in order to uh, you know, make our research even better. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I, I've always, like, since the Neuralink thing came out, and I'm sorry to keep going back to this, but um, I always thought, like, if if in a perfect world that, that that worked and, you know, tomorrow you could get people up and, and out of their wheelchairs or, you know, obviously it would be a lot of physical therapy, I'm sure. And, and um, even though you couldn't feel necessarily, I, I was wondering in your opinion, if, if that part of it is solved, though, the movement part of it is solved, does that make it easier for you guys to figure out kind of how to re, I guess, reattach uh, the feelings and the sensations of movement? You know, I think that they're, they're all hopefully going to be complementary. So, you know, my work is really trying to look at minimizing the loss that occurs early on so that the extent of these sort of, you know, the, the amount of function that needs to be restored is less. Um, and then I think that, you know, these reparative strategies, these stem cell strategies or regenerative strategies can benefit from those electrical signals and that feedback that occurs when you have these neural link devices. And, and even within the, the, that space, they're looking at providing a closed loop where you actually get sensory feedback from that motor control that's occurring. And there's some evidence that that's the sensory feedback is actually important for the motor function. And so there's actually strategies that look at stimulating the sensory nervous system and it's showing that that improves motor function. And so they're, they're, all connected together. And so um, I think in, in the end, it's really going to be a combination of many of these different strategies that get us to where we want to go. Um, and, and so I think that the, the progress that's occurring, and there's already efforts trying to combine many of these as well. And so I think that there's a lot of potential for bringing everything together. Oh, that's great. That is really exciting. Uh, you know, and I still have a couple of questions left for you here, Dylan. Uh, you know, I want to know, in your opinion, is what does the future of spinal cord injury research, like, wh where does it go from here? Because, I, you know, I, I've been injured now for since 1998. It's almost 24 years now, which is crazy. And at that time, I was like, you know, they were telling me like, oh, like, five, 10, like that, not doctors, but people outside, like, oh, five or 10 years, you're going to be walking again. And so I'm 
you know, like I was full bore on that. I'm like, I don't really need to worry about anything else. Like I'm going to be out of this wheelchair in five years and it's, it's just going to be a, a bad memory. Um, but you know, like what, I guess what's the, yeah, where, where are we going from here? Like where, if you had to put, I mean, do you think that eventually you guys are going to be able to figure this thing out or, or researchers in general are going to be able to fi figure this thing out? Absolutely. I think there are there are multiple phases. So, you know, the field is really undergoing transformation for, you know, what's the realistic short term potential? You know, can we put an emphasis on things that can, you know, um, help spinal cord injured individuals in the near future and, you know, restore as much function as we can? So what's you know, what are those realistic avenues and what are the hurdles that we need to overcome? Because the you know, not only do they need to be effective, but we need to be able to recruit enough um, individuals for clinical trials. And then we need to get it, you know, through the uh, insurance agencies and, and, you know, federal regulations. So, you know, what are these hurdles that we can make it through and, and, and actually bring effective therapies in the short term? And then there's also the long-term approach. So, you know, what are the really promising strategies that are still a little ways out and so I think you'll start, I, my hope is that we'll start seeing kind of this, you know, rather than one full, you know, um, I guess, completely effective therapy that we'll, we're going to start building up and having, um, you know, options that are available and then continuing to improve upon that until we, you know, effectively research ourselves out of a job. That would be great. I, I would, I'd be sad for you losing a job, but happy for, you know, all the people that are dealing with this. You know. it, it would be completely worth it. And yeah. so that is, that is my goal. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, there really is a lot of discussion in the field on, you know, what are the realistic um, strategies and there's a lot of investment in that front. And so there has really sort of been um, change in funding priorities and focus and discussions that are occurring. And so um, hopefully we'll start seeing the fruits of that labor here soon. All right. Yeah. Something you uh, just said made me think of another question. Um, as far as hurdles go for, for research and, and, you know, get, moving this thing down the road, what, how big of a roadblock is, you know, uh, government regulation, because I know I just had a, a woman on a few weeks ago who has a spinal cord injury and she's from Arizona and she goes once every couple of months to Mexico to get stem cell, uh, injections that she can't get in the United States because of, of regulations. Um, like how much of a roadblock is that for, for your lab for, I do you think for, for spinal cord injury research in general? You know, um, I think the many of these regulations are important and necessary um, because we want to make sure that the stem cell treatments that people are getting are actually safe and effective. And so that's the worry with, with some of these other um, uh, treatments is not all of them have been vetted sufficiently so that, you know, you know, we don't want anybody to have false hope to think that they're getting something that would actually be beneficial when it really isn't. So, um, there, you know, many of them are in place in order to, um, to really make sure that, 
you know, when we're providing a therapy, it actually has a meaningful chance of improving function. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I think when we're looking at what, you know, how easy is it going to get be to get certain types of therapies through the existing regulatory barriers? Um, and I won't call them barriers. I'll call them necessary steps in order to, you know, make sure that we have safe and effective therapies. Um, and so that's sort of the, the mindset that we're getting in. And so sometimes we might look at an already FDA approved drug that has a high safety profile that, you know, we might be able to repurpose for spinal cord injury. And there's um, a lot of research on, on these already existing drugs that have been well studied in many other different um, uh, areas that, that could be beneficial for spinal cord injury. And so that's sort of what I'm, what I mean by that is, you know, we are looking for things that we can expedite through potentially through clinical trials. And, um, and so this isn't, I would say that area is not my area of expertise. So I don't want to comment too much on it because there are those in the field that have a lot more experience and insight than, than I could possibly give. Um, and so I'll, I'll leave those sort of comments to them, but I just wanted to provide, you know, my perspective on that is, you know, we're really as a field trying to figure out, you know, what are the ways that we can move things from bench to bedside in the most um, responsible but efficient manner as possible. Yeah, that's that's uh, well said. Well said, Dylan. Thank you. know, I, I just want to thank you again for for taking some time and, and being willing to come on the podcast and, you know, giving us kind of tell, telling us about the studies you're doing and, and where, you know, kind of the future of, of spinal cord injury research is heading. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Well, I, I really appreciate the opportunity and thank you for reaching out. It was great to hear from you and, and to be able to meet you and, and to discuss the research. And if you have any questions or if there's anything that you're particularly interested in, don't hesitate to reach out and look forward to hearing from you in the future. Yeah, I would love to, uh, to catch up down the road a little ways and, and seeing how you guys are progressing with your study and everything. And, and yeah, thanks again, Dr. Dylan McCready. I, I appreciate it. Thank you and, and have a good day. You too. All right, that was Dr. Dylan McCready. I, th- I want to thank him again for, for taking some time and coming on the show. And, uh, you know, yeah, great guy. Like you mentioned, Ricardo, really explain things from a you know because we're not we're not scientists over here so we don't speak for yourself yeah yeah (laughs) we know you're not a scientist anyway plays one on tv yeah brandon (laughs) just plays one on tv anyway uh um, he explained it really yeah so everybody can understand what they're doing and what they're working on which i i love so yeah and um you know at the end there uh, when you were uh, questioning him about uh stem cells right Mm -hmm. and uh his response was, you know, anything is good, hmm. right? And and the whole idea about how fast you can move things through the system, he said, you know, they want to move through with known and uh, known cures and known medicines. Maybe they can be repurposed or something to that effect. And I think that's really interesting that they also look at current medicines to see what they've done. Because there's medicines that are off the shelf now, you know, that they don't use anymore that um, maybe they missed something. something yeah exactly yeah not that that's or that the, the technology's advanced enough now where there might be more potential for yeah, it exactly yeah, yeah. no mm-hmm. that's a good point for sure no yeah. stone should be left unturned yeah yeah exactly. at all 
It's true, and yeah, and, and you know, I know we mentioned it before, but I, I just love what they're building down there. Because I mentioned to him at the beginning, I'm like, I didn't know Texas A&M was even getting down on spinal cord injury research like this, and he was just like, yeah, they really are trying to put their, you know, their whole, they're, they're just their best foot forward on this thing, and and hire like the best of the best, and he got brought in with these five other doctors, four or five other doctors and, and researchers. And they're, they're all from different, uh, kind of aspects. They, different they all, disciplines. Yeah. yeah. They all look at it from a different, uh, different aspect. And, and, uh, I like it, man. It's, it's yeah. cool what they're doing. It, it's, um, it's exciting. I think one of my best things to takeaways from this interview was at the end where he goes, uh, call me anytime, Jeremy. Hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I like that a lot because, you know, he's a very busy man. But, you know, if you have questions and you want to do so, another interview or something like that, he's totally open to it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So. He reiterated to me, too, at, uh, in an email. He sent me an email thanking me for having him on the show and uh, told me yeah, if I need yeah. had any other questions or anything came up that just just give him a shout. And he'd uh, he'd love to come back on or, or clarify anything that, yeah. that we had questions about. So. You know, you can't really uh, ask for much more when, when – uh, and we actually had to reschedule too because I, I missed our first interview because I was uh, I was kind of under the weather. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, it was nice that he was like – because a lot of times, especially doctors like that that are so busy are just like – Yeah, you'll be you know, you months missed out. Our, missed our interview. Yeah, we can do it again in six months. I'll have my people call your people. Yeah, exactly. And he was so willing to, to come back right back on. So, I, I yeah, I can't thank him enough for, for – doing that and then just being there um you know and so i love that um you know he explains it at the beginning of the interview but you know he got spinal meningitis which doesn't actually have anything to really do with the spinal cord i mean you know it's not anything a spinal cord injury related he explains but that made him interested in kind of neurological disorders, uh, disorders yeah. d- disabilities and and he found his way to the spinal cord injury research game and and that's what he's doing now so it's it's uh you know we're lucky to have somebody like that in the corner of of our of what we're striving for and um you know we're yeah i I think it's a it's a good he's a he's a great guy so i appreciate him coming on um i guess you know a little uh programming note next week is going to be christmas so Merry Christmas. Wishing everyone a Merry Christmas from the Live to Walk Again podcast. Well, we're going to take the week off. So, I mean, we're not. You guys are taking the week off. I'm still doing interviews. But um, we'll, we'll be back uh, that week of New Year's with, uh, with, a, great, with a great guest. Uh, I just actually got done recording that interview about 10 minutes before we started recording here so yeah the jeremy's uh, out here Mueller. we're gonna have brock Mueller on. looking for a cure we're gonna find it man yeah. it's, there's we're gonna leave no stone unturned for sure yeah all right again if you can listen like rate review and share this podcast we would be eternally grateful Appreciate you guys sticking with us all these 115 episodes now. And uh, Ricardo doesn't have coronavirus. He's good. No, I'm good. He's been good. boosted. Uh, we're all we're all healthy here. <laughs> anyway, until next time, guys. Right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Shape. Bye.